All right, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 John. 1 John, that's where we've been. Uh, This is week number five, and so we will finish up next week. But today we're going to finish up what we started last week, the characteristics of fellowship. And just a quick uh, reminder of where we were last week. We talked about the first three. There's five of them. We talked about the first uh, three. And uh, the the first one we talked about was... Uh, if you want to be, if you want to have fellowship with God, if you desire to enjoy fellowship with God uh, and with each other, we have to. It starts with having a, lot, a pure life. It's so living a life of purity. The second thing is practice righteousness. That we uh, are people that do uh, what is right. The third we looked at love and deed and truth, not just in what we say, but the way that we live. And so our actions and our words need to match. And so we looked at that. Last week, that's kind of where we left off, and so today we're going to pick up in chapter 4 of 1 John. I don't know if I told you all chapter 4 yet, and that's where we'll start. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Beloved, do, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirits of God. Every spirit that confesses uh, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this love, in this, uh, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If you have a little kid in cubbies... You've probably memorized that verse early on. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God and abides in him, he and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in him, whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is, the lo- by this is love perfected with us, so that we may be confident in the day of judgment. Because he, is all, because he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not, been made, has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he, ca- whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father, uh, whoever loves the Father, loves whoever loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And so this is uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight. And so we saw, we saw last week again. If you desire to have fellowship with God, we talked about these characteristics. It starts with the purity of life, practice of righteousness, love and deed and truth. And then the first one we'll look at tonight is test the spirits. It's testing, testing the spirits. So let's read that, that part one more time here. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and, and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak, uh, speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So this next characteristic is testing the spirits. Two weeks ago, again, we looked at two cautions that John spoke of. And one of them that he speaks of in chapter 2 is to beware of the spirit of the Antichrist. It says the Antichrist has not come. The end Antichrist that you read about in Revelation throughout Scripture and prophecy, he is not here, he has not come yet. But he's saying these Antichrists who have gone out into the world have that same spirit of deception. And he warns them to watch out and to beware of this. Again, they are not the final Antichrist, but have the same spirit of deception that he does. 1 John 2.22. If you have your Bible, go back to 1 John chapter 2. First John 2, verse 22. And if you've noticed that John continuously, he continues to go back and forth, talk about the same subject many times. But First John chapter 2, verse 22, says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So he is warning them to be careful, to beware of these antichrists, and then he begins to talk to them in chapter 4 about testing the spirits. How do we know what, what is true? How do we know what is error? And so he tells us to test the spirits. And this is how we can determine truth and error is by doing this. There are antichrists in the world, and we must be able to determine those who are of God and those who are of the devil. And so it's either one or the other. It's the devil in the world or it's of God. And so how do we know? How do we know? How do we do this? And so this is what John is speaking about here. First, he starts off in chapter 4, verse 1. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. He says, just because somebody comes and they say something, don't believe it. You're going to hear a lot of things under the name, under the title of Christian. That does not necessarily mean that it's Christian. We have to have discernment. We have to test the spirits. And so he says, we must not believe everyone who comes claiming they have a message from God. Actually, if they come and claim they have a new message from God, immediately they don't. We have the the whole revelation of God. We have the final revelation of God in his word. And so we can't believe everybody who claims to have a message from God. We must test the spirits. False teachers can be exposed by comparing their lives and their words, especially their words about Christ. And do they align with the word of God? And so we can look at their lives and ultimately be able, a lot of times, be able to say their words and their lives don't match. They are false teachers. Because one thing we do know about false teachers is that they have self-seeking motives. They're all about themselves. And they're all about trying to, um, about puffing themselves up and and, and personal gain. Look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3, 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. False teachers of John's day, if you remember, we talked early on about this Gnostic-type teaching, and they denied the incarnation. They denied that Jesus came in the flesh. Um, They denied the truth that Jesus is the eternal God who came to earth and was born as a baby, that he was actually, he actually had a real human body. Uh, It was not just a, a fake body or some kind of phantom body. He had a real body, so we see this. Uh, This is what they were teaching, is that that was not true. They denied that. He clothed his deity in a human body, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and yet was born in the flesh, fully God and fully man. That is the biblical Jesus. He was fully God and he was fully man. And anything other than that is heresy. And so these Gnostic teachers, that's what they were teaching. That's what they were doing. And so 
these false teachers in, in John's day, he wanted them to recognize that. And we'll look at some false teachings and heresies in our day here in just a minute. But uh, this is the, that's the, one of the prominent ones there uh, during that day to these people. John wanted Christians to recognize false teachers and not to listen to them. And any view that attacks either Jesus' humanity or his deity is the work of the Antichrist. And so the Antichrist, again, works with, the, works with the deception. And so one day when the final Antichrist comes, he will, be work, he will be a master deceiver. So how do we discern, how do we recognize false teaching and discern truth and error? Well, first is that we need to rely on the indwelling Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And that's great news. It says we have a Holy, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. Who is he who controls the world? Satan. He is the king of the power of the air. He has been giving power for a time to rule the world. And so but it says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So what a great promise and reminder that God is greater than the enemy and cannot be defeated. And so we have the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and doing uh, his work in our hearts. And so, many, so I want to take just a few minutes here and talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So go to John chapter 14, the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 16. And so we're going to look at just some of the things that the Holy Spirit does, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so John chapter 14, verse 16, says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, uh, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, um, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you, will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so we see, first of all, we have the, the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of us. Jesus promised his disciples that he would, the Father would send another helper, meaning advocate or counselor, who would come and indwell them. Not just kind of come and be around, but actually come and take up residence inside of them. And so he says the, the helper is going to come. And so he promised this uh, to them. He was not leaving them to be orphans, but the helper would come. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit is multifaceted. So the Greek word Jesus used to describe spirit, translated as helper, is derived from a verb meaning to come alongside. So the spirit comes alongside the Christian as an advocate, a teacher, a guide, and an encourager. So not just come alongside, but actually come inside. And so we have the Holy Spirit with us. And the same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in you, if you know Christ. It lives in the people who live in Costa Rica, and the same Holy Spirit lives in those who live in the Philippines or wherever in the world. Wherever there are believers in the world, the same Holy Spirit lives in you, that lives in me, that lives in them. It's the same one. And so I don't know how that works. He's God. We can't explain how that works, but you don't just get like a part of the Holy Spirit. You get the whole thing. And so that is, uh, I guess that's part of being God. We, we, don't under, we can't understand that. We can't wrap our minds around that. But he has come alongside and, and dwells believers. And so in John chapter 14, we're going to look at three. Actually, before we get there, go to John chapter 15. Well, I lied. Actually, go to 14, 26 first. We're going to get there. John 14. We read 16, verse 26 now. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in verse, uh, now chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 7. So Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. He's about to be, he, he's on his way to the cross. He's about to be, he's about to leave them. He's going to go in back to the, to the Father. 
And so he's trying to, he's trying to help them, help them understand what's going to happen, uh, comfort them, encourage them. And so in verse chapter 16, verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if, you do not, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He says, it's to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. So he says, this is to your advantage. And so in the Holy Spirit, he has, there's several uh, tasks that he has, but three particular we're going to look at. The first one we find in John 16, if you're the, hopefully you're still there. John verse, or, yeah, the Gospel of John, uh, 16, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so we see the first job that the Holy Spirit has, first task, is to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Is that one of his jobs is to convict. So this is how you came to know Christ. He convicted you, the Holy Spirit was at work in you, and he convicted you about your sinfulness and your need of a Savior. If the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, you don't get saved. You can't, do, you, can't, you can't just wake up one day and go, I think I need the Lord. If you wake up one day and say, I need the Lord, you know why? Because the Holy Spirit's been at work in you. This is why sometimes you may have been praying for somebody for years, maybe been talking to them for years, somebody else comes and, uh, and, and speaks to them, and they get saved right then and there. Well, the Holy Spirit had already, been, had already been at work in their life. And so salvation is all of God. It is a work of God in our hearts. And so it takes the pressure off <clears throat> when it comes to sharing the gospel because it's not up to us. We, just, we, we are obedient, and the Holy Spirit does the work. And so if the Holy Spirit is not at work in your life, you cannot come to Christ. So if you're here tonight and you know Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit was at work in your life and he convicted you of your sin. Even as believers, he convicts us when we sin. And so when we sin or maybe we are doing something that we shouldn't or maybe in the middle of temptation, he convicts us, he guides us, he speaks to us. And so he, he, that is one of his primary tasks is to convict. Next thing we see is to continue Christ's earthly work. One thing is teaching his followers and reminding them of the truth. Go back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And it's interesting when you read the Gospel of John, the first John, they sound, obviously, sound very much alike and talks about a lot of the same things. But he, speaking of the Holy Spirit here, John chapter 14, verse 26. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And so all along, Jesus had been teaching his disciples. And they witnessed the miracles. They witnessed, the, uh, they witnessed when Jesus cleansed the temple. They witnessed all these things. And he would teach them. And he's taught in parables. And they heard all those. And he explained those to them. And so he's teaching them. And so kind of like if you were here last Sunday. We'll just use my class, for example. If you were in my class, chances are you have no idea what we talked about. We forget things. It just happens. We all do this. Uh, chances are, we, half the time I'm like, what did we talk about last week? And I'm the one who taught it. So we're forgetful. And so he says, one thing the Holy Spirit will do for you, first of all, he's going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So you will bring to mind the things that Jesus had taught them. And so think about when they wrote the scriptures, the Gospels, when they wrote the scriptures. This was after Jesus had died and rose again and had ascended into heaven. Uh, the church was, was born, and they, they came back and wrote these things. Well, that is a work of the Holy Spirit, bringing them back to remembrance and guiding them as they wrote the scriptures and as they wrote the Gospels. And so that is one of his jobs, is teaching his followers and reminding them of truth, reminding them what Jesus had taught them. Uh, go to John chapter 16. Second thing we see is guiding and encouraging them. John chapter 16, verse 13. 
says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for I will take, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what is one of his tasks? Is, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So not only is he teaching and bringing to remembrance the word of God, but he also guides us into truth. So if we want to recognize and have discernment between truth and error, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth. Because if we are not relying on the Holy Spirit and spending time in God's word, we will be deceived. And so it protects us. He protects us. He guides us into all truth. Uh, go to John, or verse 8, John 16, verse 8. Again, we talked about this a second ago, but convicting of sin. It says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We don't need to talk about that any, any longer. We already did. But he, his job is to convict. The next thing is calling and sending them into ministry. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Acts 13, verse 2. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out, who did it say was who who says sent them out? By who? The Holy Spirit. So it says, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and there and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So it was the Holy Spirit who called them, it was the Holy Spirit who sent them out. And so one job one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to call and to send and send them out into ministry. Now there was there was also a church. So this this all we see how this is all kind of connected there's a church here that they were sent out of and so that is one way that we do missions is that um, for, for instance like the canes they we are their sending church they they came here uh, we and our church has has sent them out uh, from here but it is God who called them God called them to do this God has called us to be part of that process as well and we sent them out but it's the Holy Spirit who's at work and so it's very clear here that Paul and and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit. So he calls and he sends uh, those into ministry. And finally, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And we see that one job of the Holy Spirit is that he intercedes for believers. He intercedes. So Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so when we don't know what to pray, or when we're praying the wrong thing, it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to what? God's will. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. It helps us in that. He helps us uh, when we pray, when we don't know what to say. With, it says, with groanings too deep for words. And he searches our, it says, he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. And so he helps us in our weakness, helps us when we don't even know what to pray or how to pray. And he prays according to the will of God. And so he helps us in that. And so we see... Uh, the first task was to uh, convict the world of sin. Second one is to continue Christ's earthly work. We just talked about those few things there. And finally, the third thing that he does is he gifts members of the body with spiritual abilities or spiritual gifts and uh, manifests the character of Christ uh, in and through them. What are the, what's the character of Christ? The fruit of the Spirit. It's Spirit-produced. And so when we read the fruit of the Spirit and you know, there's a song about it and we can remember those things. But really what it is is the Holy Spirit at work in your life and producing that. 
We don't produce it on our own, the Holy Spirit. It is Holy Spirit produced, and that's one thing that he does, is that he gives you a spiritual gift. So if you're in here and you know Christ, you've been gifted spiritually. Are you using that gift for the church? Are you serving? Are you using that gift that God has given you uh, for the church? And then the character of Christ is manifest uh, in and through us, and and the, the work of the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. So why does he gift us? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. says, I therefore... A prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to be uh, to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what's one word we keep seeing there? The word one. Unity. And so one thing is that one reason he gifts us is it brings unity in the body when we're all doing what we're supposed to do. When we're all doing using the gifts that God has given us. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led the host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he, gave, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why did he do this? Why do we come together? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So that is one of the purposes of why we come together, is that we can, is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, is that we're all ministers of the gospel. And so when we go, our, go, our, go out the doors tonight and we go our separate ways, go to our homes, go to our places of work, uh, go to your kids' sports teams, wherever you're going to be going out this week, is that we go as ministers of the gospel. And we come and we, we, and we learn and we, and we equip. Now, we're also encouraged and love and, and these kind of things, but ultimately we want to be equipped for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. This builds the body until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that when we, we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So what was John warning them of? False teachers. Truth and error. It says, this is one re- if you go off on your own, this will describe you. You will be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried around by every wind of doctrine. So we come to be equipped for the building up of the church so that we're not tossed, so that we, we, we're not tossed by every wave of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint uh, with which it is equipped when each part work is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up uh, in love. It says, together, every joint which is equipped, it says, when each part is working properly. So it's kind of like when you're, when you're sick and you have something going on. It affects your whole body, right? You, it may not be, uh, you may have, have aches. Uh, maybe you have the flu and, and it gives you your body aches and things like that. Um, and so your body, when you're sick, uh, we have these symptoms and, and it just doesn't work properly. And we're, and, and, uh, we're, and we're weakened in that. And what he's saying here, he uses the, the uh, idea of the body. He says when each part is working properly, he says makes the body grow. And so each, each person, each believer, has to be doing what God has called them to do. And the way that they are gifted is, and I'll just say first, is be a functioning part of the church. Not just coming and being a spectator. Is everybody needs to be serving, doing something. In the way as God has gifted you. Um, and there's no gift that's greater than another. So you may, yeah, I wish I had that gift. Well, no, because by God's grace, he gave you this gift. And so use that one. 
Um, and so this is how it works. It's, it's all, we don't, we don't ask for the, the gift. We don't get to pick the gift. God does that. And it's based on his grace. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're just taking the roundabout way, talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit here, you may say. Are we going to get back to 1 John? We will. But we just want to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And one thing he does is that he, he gifts us with, with spiritual gifts. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So why were we given a spiritual gift when we came to know Christ? For the common good. Common good of who? The church. And so the building up and the edification of the church. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 12, go to chapter, verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 12, flip over to verse 12. Since for just as the body is one and has many members, we are all members of the body. Though many are, are one body, so it is with Christ. For one, for one spirit we are baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, they were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. The foot should say, because the foot should say, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it less, uh, that would not make it less uh, less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would make it any less part of the body. Would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be a sense of smell? But as it was, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And so he gifts us uniquely. He gifts us by his grace, the way he wants to. And he places us in the body as he chooses. And so it is God, it is a work of God, a work of the Holy Spirit. So if we, verse 19, if we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it, as it is, or as it is, uh, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. If those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are which our more, part, more pres, presentable parts uh, do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members, individually members of it, and God has appointed, and, uh, God has appointed the church uh, first apostles, second prophet, prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, help administrating, and various kinds of tongues. All are, are all apostles, all are, prof, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak tongues, do, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. He, says, he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13, greater than all these gifts is love. Is that we love one another. It says these other gifts, these other signs, they're going to pass away. They're going to cease. It says, but love will remain. Faith, uh, hope, and love. And when we're in the presence of Christ, we will no longer hope. Our faith will be made sight, and love remains. And so we're to love one another. And so this is is what he's talking about. He built the body. He put it together as he chooses. And so the purpose of these gifts of the Spirit is that the church of Jesus Christ might look, look and work, uh, work like the body of Jesus on this earth. Every gift is to be used for the edification of the church. God did not gift you spiritually, give you a spiritual gift to just hold it and never use it. It's meant to build up and edify the church. And so God has gifted each of us uniquely. And so uh, we need to be using that. The gifts are specific abilities given by God for edification. And it's not just the way that you were naturally made. Sometimes God's going to gift you in a way that's not, not, not natural to you. That doesn't come natural as part of your personality. Because sometimes 
he, he gives you that way. He makes you that way. He gives you your personality. But a lot of times maybe the way he gives you is opposite of that. Because who gets the honor and the glory for that? God. And so don't just think, well, this is the way, this is my personality. Sometimes we need to use our personalities, and God's given us those. And we need to use those for his honor and glory. But a lot of times we have a spiritual gift that God's given us that is different than what we would naturally be. Because it is something that God uh, did in us, and God gets the glory for it. And so, um, again, it's not just based on the way that our personality is but it's for the edification of the church. Spiritual gifts, they include things like teaching, encouraging, uh, giving, leading, providing wisdom, showing mercy, distinguishing between good and evil spirits. It could be anything. You know, there's just some people who are just so compassionate. They're very compassionate. And that's something that God has has given them. And they show great compassion on people uh, and showing mercy. There are a lot of times... There's some people who are very wise. God has given them wisdom. And so, they're, it, I mean, the spiritual gifts could be any number of things. It's not an exhaustive list, but it could be any number of things, but it's something the Spirit does in us. And so the fruit of the Spirit also, as we talked about a minute ago, is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's work in God's people as he is refining their character, refining their character, making them into the image of Christ. And so... To say all that, talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and relying on him to be able to, uh, be able to discern between truth and error. But what are some false teachings in our day? You know, they were dealing with this Gnosticism. Some of the things in our day, and just, just a couple of them, but I mean, there's lots of them. And we watched uh, the American Gospel a couple years ago. There's one right there, the Prosperity Gospel. If you would just have enough faith... And send enough money, let's say that. You'll just send enough money to the guy. Uh, you'll never be sick. Uh, you'll never go, you'll, never, you'll always have plenty of money. You'll never have any problems in your life. Um, this prosperity gospel is all about uh, having enough faith. And really, what, what is it all about? Sending enough money. So if you send enough money uh, to the guy so he can go buy his private jets and those kind of things, um, that's what's behind it. Again, what are these false teachers about? They're self-seeking motives. So we have to watch out for that. The prosperity gospel doesn't work. If the, if the prosperity gospel is true, then God really hated Paul. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. But uh, this is uh, a false teaching in our day that is it's big. It's big. Another one I would, I would just call another thing is just easy believism. Say this prayer, you're saved. You don't have to worry about it again. Uh, cost you nothing. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your life. And so it's costly. But this is easy believing. Say this prayer, it's a magic formula. Just then go about your life. Uh, this is not scriptural. This is false teaching, giving people false hope. And then we have the charismatic movement. You know, things like special, special word from God, special, special messages from God. Maybe it's this, uh, the word of faith. You hear things like this, the word of faith. Um, I have a word uh, for you. They, they say things like this. Um, they talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is accompanied by sign gifts. And a lot of times they'll say, um, when you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. Well, where in the world does the scripture say that? And by the way, what is Tongues. Tongues is a miracle of language. It was real language. It'd be like if I'm standing up here and you all speak 10 different languages, I speak in English and you understand it in your native language. That is a miracle of language. It's not some weird gibberish. It's not, and it's not chaotic. There was an order to it. And so we have to be careful when we hear these things. It's not a sign of being spiritual. Actually, it's deception. It's deception. And so it's a false teaching of our day. They talk about special knowledge and spirituality. Another thing is ecumenism. ecumenism ecumen, I had it in my head. I had it right. Now I can't say it. Ecumenism. <laughs> um, and if you look up a definition of what that means, it's a worldwide Christian yeah, unity. Christian 
Well, you could say that in quotes too, Christian unity. Um, or cooperation, uh, all, that all religions, or religions are equally valid and lead to the same place. I had a conversation several years ago with a guy. He was, they're wanting to reach students in our city. This is many years ago. And we're going to invite everybody. It's a community event. And uh, there's going to be the, the, there's going to be this denomination there and this denomination there and the Catholics there and this and that. And they, and I'm like, okay, so you want to reach students. So I asked the guy, well, how can all these different, their idea of reaching students is going to be totally different from mine. The way that uh, if it's a works-based salvation, well, get, how are they going to try to reach people? They're going to teach them works-based salvation. And so it's this, this idea of everybody just coming together and all religions are equally valid. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says there's one way. And one way is through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the only way. And so this, this idea of these community-wide things, and let's just all come together and let's just love one another. Let's just reach. What does that mean? What does it actually mean that you hear these words? And this is why I was always very careful about some of these things that our students would go to, like the fields of faith and things like that. I, felt I, I always felt like it was my job to not allow them to be set under potentially false teaching because I don't know what they're going to be teaching. And it's important for us. And as parents, we need to do that with our kids as well and help, help, under, help them understand that. I did see that Fields of Faith is coming up and Ray Lewis is going to be in Andrews. So, anybody know who Ray Lewis is? I had a roommate who said he was his favorite almost convicted felon. But um, if you don't know who he is, he's you know, a Hall of Fame linebacker. Who was convicted, or well, not convicted, he was accused of killing somebody back in the day. But anyways, I don't know, maybe he's, maybe he's a great guy, I don't know. But I say all this, my point is, we have to be careful. Be careful who we sit under, and, and if you have kids in, in your home, be careful who they sit under when it comes to teaching and things like that. But, they, but this idea of just, we can all get together, we can all just work together well, no, there's a reason there's different religions and denominations is because there's doctrinal differences. And these are not doctrinal. These are, these are the major points. These are the important points that, have, that must be the essentials. And so we need to know this, is that all religions are not equally valid. Then you've got the guys out there like Rob Bell, who's gone out there and wrote a book and basically said, there is no hell, and one day we'll all end up in heaven. Well, if that's the case, then why are we here? So there's differences, and we need to have discernment. And so we need the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth and to give us the ability to discern between truth and error. 1 John 4, 6 says, We are from God. Whoever knows and listens to us. What was John teaching? Who did he learn under? Jesus himself. So what he taught was the work. He, he taught... Uh, the word of God. And so he says, whoever knows God listens to us. For whoever does not know, is not from God, does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And we rely on the Holy Spirit to do this. He will lead us to understand and to obey God's word. So that was, I know you may say, man, that was a long time to talk about that. This next one won't take very long because we've talked about it every single week. Uh, the fifth characteristic is love as Christ loves. And we're not going to read that whole passage again because it, it's kind of long. But just a few things here. In verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever knows love has been born of God and knows God. It says to really be able to love, we have to know God. We have to be in relationship with God. We have to have experienced the love of God. So whoever loves God has been born of God and knows him. Verse 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So what's your definition of love? God is love. It's not, it's, God is not just loving. It's not something that he gives toward us. This is part of his character. This is one of his attributes. He is love. It's part of who he is. Anyone that knows, all that anyone knows about love is rooted in the character and nature of Almighty God, who is the origin, the originator, and the orchestrator of all 
true love. The biblical concept of love means making, seeking the best for a person while asking nothing in return. So I'm going to do his best for you, seeking your best interest, seeking nothing in return. This is what Jesus did. This is how he loves us. He sacrificially loved us and he gave his son uh, that we might be saved and reconciled to him. Only God can produce that kind of love in a person. And this work of, of love is only done in the one who's experienced the love of God in salvation. If we've never been saved, we've never experienced the love of God, we cannot love the way that Christ loved. It's not possible. We also see that Jesus Christ is the expression of God's love in the heart of the gospel. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It says, in this love, in this, uh, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his son, or sent his only son, into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, you did not wake up one day and say, I think I love God today. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen that way. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. He is the one who initiates the relationship with you. You did not initiate that. You didn't even want it. We were his enemies. Yet God initiated the relationship. It is God who loved you first. And so this is so we see that Christ is the expression of God's love in the heart of the gospel message. Is that he sent, God sent his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. That he took our place. And that he loved us first. He, initi- he made the first move. He initiated that toward us it is because we have experienced the love of God that we also ought to love one another verse 11 the loved if God so loved us we also ought to love one another you can't say it any more clear than that we've been talking every week John's been talking every week we've talked John's talking about loving one another who is the one another that John's talking about in here it's here it's in the church it's with your brothers and sisters in Christ and it says, John also says, a lot of John, in his gospel that the world will know that we belong to him if we have love for one another. It's not normal. It's not normal for, for all different types of people from all different backgrounds, different age, ages, be able to come together and worship God together, to care about one another, to serve together. This is not normal. It's only something the Holy Spirit can do. And the world, when they see that, they marvel because it's something that is totally different saying look at those christians and how they love and care about one another that's not normal they have nothing in common and we may have nothing in common you're going to click with some people and others not but we do have the common bond of jesus christ and that's stronger than any other thing you could have in common and that bond is strong and then verse 19 So first, backing up there to verse 11, it says that we, if God loved us, we ought to love one another. And then verse 19, John states, he says, we love because he first loved us. We are able to love one another the way that Christ loves because we've experienced the love of God first. And those who love God, he also says, again, we, all, we get this command, and you may, if you've been here every week, you'll hear this, we've heard this command over and over and over again. But verse 21 And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. John talks about that a lot in this this short epistle. Is loving one another. And again, if you you could care less about the people of God, maybe, maybe maybe God hasn't saved you. Because that is an evidence that you belong to him, is do you love the people of God? Do you desire to be around God's people? Um, if you don't, that's something that you need to examine. But as we wrap up tonight, those who enjoy fellowship with God, with Christ and fellow believers, will manifest these five characteristics in their life. Purity of life, practice of righteousness, love and deed and truth, test the, testing the spirits, and love as Christ loved. 1 John 5, verse 1 through 3, says, Everyone who believes in Christ, or believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whomever 
uh, has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. When we realize what we've been saved from, and we understand that God loves us and God cares about us, it says we, when we love him, we're going to obey his commands. And these commands are not burdensome. They're not a burden. They're a blessing. They're, they're, they're the source of peace and joy in life is when we love God and obey his commandments. It says he, he gives us these commandments. He says they're not, they're not burdensome. They're not meant to be a burden. They're meant to be a blessing. And, uh, and it makes us more like Christ. Unbelievers find God's word, his commandments, burdensome because they lack what every believer has, the Holy Spirit. So through the Spirit, the believer finds obedience to be a source of peace. And this passage that we just read summarizes the life of the genuine believer who enjoys and experiences fellowship with God. The one who enjoys and experiences fellowship with God will demonstrate the characteristics we talked about these last couple of weeks. And they're going to... Just think about what we talked about. Does that look different? Does that look different than the world? Yes. You're going to look totally different, and we've been called to be different. We've been called to be holy. And so these characteristics are the characteristics of fellowship that those who enjoy fellowship with God exhibit in their lives. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the stage you've given us. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... Jesus Christ, we thank you that he came, that he died, that he gave his life, that we can be reconciled with you, that we can be made right, we can be saved, be forgiven, and that one day we'll spend eternity in your presence. So, God, I pray that you would help us. God, we want to enjoy fellowship with you. We want to enjoy fellowship with one another. So, God, I pray that you'd help us to, uh, that you would continue, the Holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, that you would continue to work, mold, make us into who you'd have us to be. Uh, Lord, that we would exhibit these five characteristics that we've been talking about. And, Lord, that our lives would look markedly different than the world and that we'd have an influence on the lost, that people would see the way that we love one another. They see the the way that uh, we uh, go about our our daily lives and purity and righteousness. God, that we would test the spirits. We wouldn't just uh, go along with any wind of doctrine or or popular doctrine of the day, but that we'd go to your word and that we'd grow and that we'd be able to discern between truth in error. And God, I pray that you'd help us to love as you loved, that we love one another in here uh, the way that you have loved us first. And so, God, we thank you for your love. Thank you for saving us. And I pray that you would uh, continue to work in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.